Boo! Ladies. It's our Halloween edition of Vibe Check. We're taping this on Tuesday, October 31st. Happy Day of the Dead to all those who celebrate. Uh, Yes, yes. I'm Sam Sanders. I'm Saeed Jones. And I'm Zach Safford. And you're listening to Vibe Check. Okay, so we're going to talk about two topics that, depending on, you know, how things are going for you, are, you know, pretty scary, or at least high stakes. First, we're going to talk about the housing market. Girl, what's going on out there? It's bad. It's spooky. It's beyond spooky. It's fucking terrifying. (laughs) And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about rental prices, the housing market interest rates and how really Airbnb is maybe one of the main ghouls mm-hmm. um, that's kind of made mm-hmm. a lot of problems for us. And maybe even if you don't use Airbnb, it's not to say that you haven't been impacted yeah. by the way Airbnb yeah. has impacted housing. And then, you know, listen, if you are a restaurant tour of the Instagram demographic, <laughs> particularly in the city of Atlanta, look, you're scared as hell because Keith Lee... The TikTok food influencer is in your zip code, wreaking havoc in the nicest way. He's such a nice, yes. so sweet. polite person. Yeah, that's what I think is so interesting. Like if he was more of a showman and yeah. more, you know, more bravado, it'd be a little weird. But the fact that he is nice, calm, and reasonable, and is reviewing restaurants mm-hmm. on TikTok in the city of Atlanta, mayhem. Yeah. Havoc. So that'll be our haunted house portion. <laughs> I'm ready for that because y'all know I am the least TikToky of the three of mm-hmm. us, and I have no idea what any of that is. And it shows because <laughs> listeners, it's all over TikTok. Yeah. If y'all haven't seen it, we're gonna catch you up. It's all over Twitter too. When I run over there to peek, and <laughs> Zach made the point that TikTok has become a place of like real time public info. Yeah, real-time food, public info. When you really want to know what's going on, especially in, like, a local place. And Sam was like, no, Wikipedia is the best place for that. We were (laughs) I'd be going to Wikipedia. (laughs) I'd be going to Wikipedia. Listen, don't make me go to GeoCities. I'll go to GeoCities. I don't give a damn. (laughs) I don't give a damn. (laughs) Play with me. Still be in the old ways. Well, before... We get into all of that. Let's check in, girls. How are you doing? Sam, how are you? All right, let me tell y'all. <laughs> oh, God. I woke okay. up this morning with my mind focused on glory. I was feeling good. I was feeling great. I said, hey, let me go to that. yoga. I ended up at a 7.30 a.m. power vinyasa class, and I was so excited about Fun. it. I was ready. And it's an instructor that I had seen before. She's great. We're flowing. We're moving. The sweat is beating. And I realized like 10 minutes in, like something's off with this class. The music is off. Then I end up in child's pose halfway through. And I hear, no lie, an EDM remix of Michael Jackson's Thriller. And then I'm like, oh, she's doing a Halloween version of this yoga class. And I was mad. (laughs) I was mad. Why were you mad about this? Because I don't need to hear an EDM remix of Thriller when I'm in child's pose. But you're at a yeah. power vinyasa class. Also at like 7.30 in the yeah, morning. Yeah, it's too much. So here's my thing. Uh-huh. I could see someone wanting to do like a kind of spooky or eerie But you got to tell me soundtrack. before I show up. You know, like kind of a, the wind blowing ac- right it wasn't through that. the forest. It like wasn't that. that. Kind of thing. It was like a Monster Mash cover that was horrible. No. And there was no announcement or proclamation about the spooky yoga class. 
<laughs> well, it, girl, it's Halloween day, so everyone's doing their spooky. Like, I was at the gym this morning, and they were playing spooky music. But See, to the defense of the yoga studio, that I don't even know where you go, so I, I really don't need to be defending them. But isn't Power Vinyasa the high cardio, high, like, lift yes, class? So it's, like, already yes, it's But I'm like already a, flowing and breathing. Like I don't need the music key. to help. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I thought that Sam is the one person that leaves yoga angrier. Yes, I left yoga angrier. I left yoga angrier. And let me tell you why, because it got me thinking. It got me thinking. We have now fully entered what I call against my will season. Everything that's going to happen in the culture between now and the new year is going to happen against my will. (laughs) The overdoing of spooky Halloween shit all up in my face. I ain't asked for that. I'm about to hear Mariah Carey nonstop starting tomorrow. It's going to be holiday movies everywhere. Did you know that this year even QVC is making Christmas movies? Really? Oh, like the infomercial? Yes. It's going to be all this Christmas consumption crap from now until January. I'm going to have to deal with peppermint for two months everywhere. Do you not like a peppermint mocha? No! I don't want that. I don't like any of the the pumpkin spice inspired anything. And yeah, and then the peppermint stuff grows. Well, And then don't even get me started on how for the next month, everyone's going to act like turkey is fun to eat. Turkey's bad. Turkey's not a good bird. Uh, uh, You're just messing with people who can't cook because I've had some excellent smoked turkey. I have had some great fried turkey. You problem friend. Send him over my way. I was with you, Sam. Saeed's face really changed. Yeah, Sam the Grinch. To close the loop, I'm not fully a Grinch, but what I don't like about this season is how disingenuous it is. All of the pomp and circumstance around the holidays and the peppermint and the turkey and the trees, it acts like it's asking your community to come into community. It's actually asking you and your community to come into consumption. It's all about spending money. And this is going to be the brokest part of most people's years. As the Christmas lights are up and the songs are playing, we're just pummeled with spending and consumption from now through the end of the year. So my vibe right now is trying to like steel myself against it. And, you know, I'm going to shake hands with that Mariah Carey song once and then say, peace, be still. I can't live in the peppermint for two months. I can't do it. Oh, my God. That's all. Oh, my all. God. I'm so conflicted because as a Sagittarius, which is to say the light bringer <laughs> of this season, <laughs> if you think about Sagittarius season, it's literally this entire time. I love it. You know, like in Columbus, um, they have a celebration where neighborhood goes really all out with Christmas lights yeah. and a lot of people gather to go look at them and have yeah. house parties. You walk around drinking hot chocolate. Yes, there is a lot of consumerism. A lot of it is branding and marketing mm-hmm. for sure. But also, and in part, because it's a difficult time, because so many people are going through it and there's so many ways you could context going through it, creating opportunities for people to come together. I don't know. I can't knock that. Okay. I can't knock that part of it. But the peppermint, like, coffee drinks, yeah. like, well, thank you. Zach, how are you doing? I'm good. I am finally back in L.A. just for a few days before I go back to New York. You were in Atlanta for a second in Georgia. Yeah, yeah I was in Savannah. I was in Atlanta, which Atlanta does okay. tie into today's episode. Um, and then I was in Mexico City. But now I'm home, and then I have to go to New York. So it the end of the year feels really busy, too, for me, because I feel like that's when, like, you're trying to close out the year, finish up some projects, do all this movement. So I'm feeling all of that. But I'm also feeling really, I don't know, I feel very, this, like, sense of, like, pride in my love of Mexico City after coming back because this last trip, which you all were missed, you know, you all came up. There were I ran into people that know you both and they were like, how's everyone? We listened to the show. And 
I've gone a lot over my life, but now I feel like I've hit that moment with Mexico City where it's like another home to me. Like I go there and I like have long nice. dinners with a friend. It's not about yeah. just like doing all the tour stuff, running around. It's a lot of calmness, um, which was really mm -hmm. wonderful. And also like even this trip, I lost the case to my AirPods and I had to go to the Apple store. So I went to like the super local Mexico City Apple store, which was like a very fun experience of like, oh, I've never been to this part of Polanco where like people are just- I've like, actually okay. been there and it's a vibe. It's a vibe. Exactly it was a vibe. you're talking about. It's a <laughs> Why vibe. is it a vibe? It's just beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> just kind of you might expect that you're like okay let me go to the apple store and i know what i know what that's gonna be like and then you're mm -hmm. like oh no this is <laughs> totally <It's>... different <laughs> what makes it different though seriously i think it's nicer i mean it i was, like oh. the efficiency of how apple kind of does everything but mm -hmm. sometimes it can feel a little impersonal to walk into those apple mm -hmm. stores and that store in polanco is i mean it's not inefficient yeah. but <laughs> Okay. It's really like, Torture. it's like, it's like that Mexican like hominess. So like where people are really friendly All and like right. wanting to be helpful. So beyond that, I spent an evening with our friend Cecilia who runs those Cuerpos, which I have come to learn that them. every week a Vibe Check listener goes to Yay. Dos Cuerpos and has a little tasting, buy some mezcal, buy some wine. So that's yeah. just really incredible to hear. Listen, Vibe Check listeners, if you're out there going to taste this alcohol in Mexico City, Send us photos. I want to see it. Yeah. Email us photos of your time there. That'd be great. Please do. And then my last thing I'll say, you know, I know a lot of us have been watching social media this week, which continues to be really hard for, for everyone. Yeah. Just a full hellscape. And going to Mexico City, I, you know, had a long dinner with a lot of friends there. And we all were having similar conversations that I was having here in LA. And while I was there, there were the protests um, that were happening there that were about, you know, Jewish people coming together, Palestinian people coming together, all different types of people mm -hmm. coming together, asking for, you know, violence to stop. And that seems to be getting missed, I feel like, online these days. Everything feels like it's the two mm. extremes of this conflict. But really, a lot of people I'm meeting are, like, in the middle, wanting to, like, lock arms in community and be together for one another. And it just feels like we're missing that online. So being in Mexico to see it echoed to me, I was like, wow, it feels like globally, all of us do want to come together and figure this out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the photos and video footage I've seen from places like Grand Central Terminal in New York City, where it was like shut down. I mean, it's like, look up photos if you haven't seen them. I mean, it's really moving. In London, it was like hundreds of thousands of people. I was trying just now to find, I think it was a Blue Sky post, but it was a post by a Palestinian poet. And she was just thoughtfully acknowledging her appreciation for the number of Jewish people she has seen out, you know, at protests, showing up, arguing for ceasefire. And what she said I thought was so thoughtful. She was like, these people are holding so much grief right? Mm -hmm, people yeah. with family members in Israel. Very few hostages have been relieved. A lot of people are still going through the immediate days of grief because of, of the terrorist attack on October 7th. And even still, many, many Jewish people are showing up, Damn. you know, loudly pushing for ceasefire, pushing for peace. Her expression of gratitude kind of woke up some of the humanity mm. in myself. Yeah. Well, and this is what I have been noticing, seeing all these images of protest for a ceasefire across the world. If you just follow American news media, they'd have you think it's like 50-50. Do people want this to stop or not? In actuality, the consensus morally around the globe is stop this. Stop the yeah. violence. Stop Girl, killing these kids. The other day, Piers Morgan was talking. Yes, about. Like, Piers Morgan was also at the like, point yeah. that like. 
people like Piers Morgan and um, who else did I see? Thomas Friedman oh, of yeah. all wow. people. It's like, ooh, interesting. Yeah. Well, and, and like you see these images, you see these realities. I was following this journalist who had been live streaming from Gaza and then she couldn't because all the internet and the lights went out for like more than a day. You know, it's really hard for anyone to see what's happening there and not say, hmm, yeah. there's got to be a better way. There's yeah. got to be a better way. And what I hope is that, like, people see the amount of solidarity that exists across the world to end this violence. I think there are a lot of interests that would have you think that people aren't on the good side here. But people want this violence to stop. Yeah. All three of us included. Anywho, don't get me started. I agree. And I, and I think, like, what I've really been realizing a lot this past week, just traveling to the South, to Mexico, mm-hmm. is that every person I meet is incredibly complicated and they hold multiple truths at once. Yes. And I think we just don't yes. see that grace given to people online no. these days where, you know, you make one statement, people flatten you, flatten your identity, flatten your take. And we're not saying that people are really complicated, especially during complicated mm-hmm. issues. So that's where I'm at. Thank you all for talking okay. to me about that. Because again, like every week, I feel yeah. like we, we're trying to work through a bunch and I'm glad we have the space to work through it all. Um, Saeed, how are you feeling? Um, well, so I just had to check to make sure I'm still registered to vote in the state of Ohio. And let okay. me tell you why. Not because of me, <laughs> to be clear, because Assista stays registered. So it's actually a really exciting time to be a registered voter in the state of Ohio, um, because in November, we will have the opportunity to vote in a Senate election. Sherrod Brown is up for re-election. Mm. I call him Sherrod because he's a homie. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love that man. <laughs> Against our Republican Secretary of State. So that's a pretty, obviously, important race. We also will have an opportunity to vote on two ballot measures, one regarding reproductive justice. I'm very excited to vote in support yeah. of reproductive justice. Yep. Yeah. And, and the other is in support of weed legalization. Like, what oh. a time. Wait, wow. y'all don't have it legal over there? Vote. It's not, not legal yet, over maybe, there? But we're trying, wow. we're trying. You know, these are three issues that obviously I care a lot mm-hmm. about. But it was so striking because just 24 hours ago, this is reporting I saw from Jezebel.com, As I mentioned, the Secretary of State is also running for that Senate seat. Uh, Anti-abortion Secretary of State Frank LaRose ordered the purge of 27,000 voter registrations before voters get to decide Mm. on those three issues, including his own election race, but not in time to vote on the ballot measure. The deadline was October 10th. So I literally, I checked this morning, I'm registered, I'll be there, I'll be president. But it's like so sneaky because imagine if you saw that headline and went and checked yourself, you wouldn't be able to correct it in time to vote on those two ballot measures. And this is the thing, this speaks to the reality that the abortion issue has presented for Republicans. Since Roe was overturned, every special election on abortion Mm -hmm. across the country has leaned heavily in favor of abortion rights. Even in the Midwest, even in conservative Mm -hmm. states, people across the country are saying, don't fuck with our abortion rights. And so they're scared. What I see you saying right here yeah. is that these Republicans are scared, and they should. They're scared. So F y'all we're going to keep this. an eye on it because yeah. often, you know, it could be pretty close. And yeah. if the difference in the outcome is around twenty-seven thousand, well, that will mm-hmm. be of note. But listeners, this is what I would tell you: if you are in Ohio, but even if you aren't, because everyone I know knows somebody in Ohio, mm-hmm. check in with your people, ask them to see: hey, are you registered to vote? Got an election coming up in November. It sounds pretty important. Just check in. Send a text. 
Send yes. a cute little voice memo that can go a long way. Yes. So that's my vibe. Yeah. We're paying attention. We're getting ready because we see that the GOP fascists love to play games. They're gonna they're gonna pull every trick out of their little fascist bag they can because, as Sam says, they know that when elections are done legitimately, they, they lose. lose. And listen, Period. you are not a real supporter of Vibe Check if you are not registered to vote. I'm saying it. Register yourself. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> Okay. No, it, 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 ain't no games over here. Ain't no yeah. games over here. Get registered. Yeah. I love that. That yoga got me heated up, y'all. That yoga got me heated yeah. up. You look, see? You look, see that lady a thank you email. Ready for today. Oh, gosh. Well, listeners, we just want to remind you that, yes, we are still having that book club. Our episode is going to come out really soon. And as a reminder, we are reading Poverty by America by Matthew Desmond. We'll be having a conversation with them. So join us, read the book, and send in your questions for the author by November 6th, the latest, which is next week. So do it now. Get back to us. Let us know. Yeah. Vibecheck at Stitcher.com. Vibecheck at Stitcher.com. I know y'all are smart listeners. Send us some good questions. We want them. All right. Also, before we get into the episode, I want to thank all of you who send us fan mail. Reach out on social media. We love hearing from you. We read every message. We text about the notes you send us. We read it all. We love it. Vibecheck at Stitcher.com. All right. With that, let's uh, jump in, shall we? Let's Let's do it. I'm going to call this segment, The Rent is Too Damn High and the Mortgage is Too. (laughs) That's perfect because today is the first of the month. So I want to talk about the housing market and I want to do it this week because there are two stories that have kind of been bubbling up in the news over the last few weeks that I think can open up a really good conversation about the state of housing in America, specifically America's current housing crisis. And it is a crisis. First story, you might have seen this, the Supreme Court may take up a case concerning rent control. New York landlords have asked SCOTUS to take up three cases that could end rent control as we know it. Rent control basically says once you get into an apartment, your rent can only go up so much a year, something like 3%. It can't go up drastically. Uh, New York landlords want that protection for renters taken away. The Supreme Court has already said that it won't take up one of those cases, but they haven't said yet if they'll take up the other two or not. If they take up one of those cases and rule against rent control in New York, it affects the entire country and it could change drastically overnight what housing looks like all over this country. It's a big deal. Listeners, watch on it. Yeah, and given the makeup of the Supreme Court, I, I just, yes, there's a good chance they'd overturn I it. I tend to assume the worst. Yeah, I tend to assume yeah. the worst. That's wow. the first story that has me thinking about housing. The second, and you've probably felt this or talked to folks that have felt it. A few weeks ago, New York City, one of the largest markets for Airbnb in the world, it effectively banned almost all Airbnbs in the city. And under new local laws now, most Airbnbs are no longer legal in New York, and by some counts. Less than 100 Airbnb listings are left in the entirety of New York City. And this is happening because, as people have seen across the country, the rise of Airbnb has hurt the housing market. By some measures, Airbnb has displaced 100,000 New Yorkers, give or take. Wow. And as of last year, there were more apartments available to rent on Airbnb than there were available to rent long term. 
It's in New York wild. City. In New York City, where yeah. it's already exactly, you know, exactly, been a mess forever. So wow. all this sets up these two stories. Set up a conversation that I want to have right now about housing. And the question I want to start out with is, how effed up does our housing market feel to y'all right now? Because here in LA, where I am, it feels wild and crazy and out of pocket. I agree. As, so as someone also living in LA, I look at Zillow a lot and I okay. am stunned. That'll run your pressure by, up. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm just stunned at like how just in the past few years, how housing prices have just risen astronomically. You know, they were already mm-hmm. pretty inaccessible in 2019, but there was some mm-hmm. hope, you know, we're like, oh, okay, maybe you can live in this part of town. Maybe you live in that part of town. But through, you know, when COVID hit and we saw the rise of people buying homes, moving, all that stuff, it just now feels impossible to get a house. And, you know, this dream you have as a kid of when to get a house feels like harder and harder to reach for all of my friends. You know, some people are still making it and getting there. But, you know, it just doesn't feel like it did or how we imagine the 50s feeling where, like, my grandparents yeah. all had homes. Everyone had a home. And it feels like we've moved away from that belief in America that everyone deserves a place to sleep at night. It feels like, you know, it's just yeah. kind of, you know, better hope for the best here. Maybe you'll have a bed. Exactly. But it just feels really, yeah, yeah. really fraught. Yeah. Said, what's Columbus feel like for you? Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty illuminating question because, you know, I, I moved here from New York City in 2019. Mm-hmm. And my last apartment in New York City was in the Lower East Side neighborhood in Manhattan. Obviously, it's pretty expensive. I need to yeah. be close to work. My apartment was a one bedroom and I was paying a little over $4,000 a month for that apartment. Wow. Not including... Everything else you pay with an apartment. And when I moved to Columbus in fall of 2019, I got an apartment that was actually fairly similar in terms of like neighborhood makeup, the Mm -hmm. vibe, Mm -hmm. the type of building, even the layout of my apartments at the time. One bedroom were fairly similar in appearance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 1,400 a month. Wow. 1,400 a month. So that's quite a contrast. But that being said, relative to... Columbus, relative to Ohio, it is still a pretty alarming increase in prices. So as of 2023, for rent, there has been a 29% increase in rent prices in Columbus, Ohio, compared to just the previous year. Yeah. It's almost 30%. That's yeah. huge. And then for for like if you wanted to own a home, which, you know, I mean, but obviously these two things yeah. are connected. Um, I saw this morning in Axios, there has been a 70% increase in the price of the typical home in the Columbus area in the last two years. I mean, it's, it's wild. wild. So That's even crazy. here, obviously, it's more affordable than, you know, Manhattan, New York, yeah. but you still it's feel still it. pretty alarming. Well, and this is the yeah. thing. By all data points, it is just more expensive to live in America than it has been for many years. You know, rents have been going down in America the last few months, but overall, over the last three years, according to the Government Accountability Office, rents have increased by 24%. And on Ooh. the home ownership side, you know, high interest rates have kept folks from buying. And like, even as rates have gone up, the price of houses haven't gone down. And what we're seeing is that a lot of corporations that own office buildings and rent them out to other mm-hmm. companies, they also own uh, residential buildings. And as these office buildings haven't refilled post-pandemic, that loss of money for these big corporations, they're making up for that by raising rents in their other buildings that have tenants, like personal tenants. It's wild. 
So all over, you see owners and renters being stretched thin. And it's really bad here in L.A. You know, we talk a lot about the L.A. homelessness crisis, but there's a whole class of people who are unhoused that we don't see because they sleep in their cars. The amount of Angelinos who sleep in their cars now and live in their cars is up double digits. And those are folks that we don't think about because they aren't on the street, but they're unhoused too. It's wild out here. It's wild. Yeah, the New York Times did a recent article on that where it was like people who have jobs, like are making, for example, like one woman I remember was like making Mm $70,000, but she lives in the Seattle area, Mm -hmm. Seattle, Washington, and could not afford a home. And so she was living out of her car. And I just felt the article wasn't framed very well. It was like, look at these people. Look at how innovative and clever they're being. And Mm. I'm like, no, 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 that's not. That's not the takeaway. They're in crisis. Yeah. That's yeah. They're in yeah. crisis. And that's like, and that to me is the, the really scary part of this moment in the housing crisis. You have people, you know, living in what they're calling mobile homelessness was like the term the New York Times was using. Mm-hmm. But these people are making seventy, eighty, ninety thousand dollars $90,000 a year. And because mm-hmm. of the, the cost of living, the fact that like most of their paycheck will have to go to rent, they can't afford other things. They can't afford the gas to get to their, their jobs to keep living that way. And they're not, you know, low income enough to get government housing. They're like in this gray zone. And it feels like more and more that's the middle class, that gray zone of like, I'm living paycheck to paycheck and it just one bad thing happened to me and I'm going to be in my car and that my whole life yeah. is over. And that's very frightening yeah. for people. Yeah, yeah. I want to pull it back to Airbnb to open up a part of the conversation about how all of us can sometimes be part of the problem. You know, I'm reading all this data around Airbnb and how it's hurt cities like New York, hurt the entire country. But I think back on how much I have used Airbnb, especially Mm -hmm. during the pandemic. I was all over these highways and byways in Airbnbs across the country for a long time. And I think what's happening with Airbnb and how we've all been a part of that system, it represents larger picture what has happened to housing, period. You know, when Airbnb started, it was a lot more DIY. The idea at first was that when you were in Airbnbs, the homeowner was there and you stayed with them and you built community with them and you like shared a common space with them. That has changed. And now we're in this moment where Airbnb is extremely corporatized. Mm -hmm. You all have experienced this. You rent an Airbnb. It's not owned by a person. It's owned by a company. And it's basically a short-term hotel that you just get through Airbnb. And that corporatization Mm -hmm. that we've seen happen in Airbnb, it's also happened in the rental market. It's also happened in Mm -hmm. the housing market. And I think that's a big part of the problem as well. So much of housing has stopped being personal and it's become corporate and it's become big business and that hurts real people. Yeah. And the big business aspect. I mean, I think about, you know, when I'm in New Orleans and my friends there and, you know, they'll walk me through different neighborhoods. I don't know, like the Marigny Mm -hmm. and it'll be like seemingly like six or seven homes in a row, you think, oh, look at this cute neighborhood. And it's like, nope, that, that's All Airbnb. Rentals. That's yeah. Airbnb. That's mm-hmm. Airbnb. Yeah. So it's, I mean, one, it, you know, it impacts housing in terms of what's available. Like you said, a hundred thousand people in the city of New York being displaced because there literally aren't available spaces yeah. for long-term rent. But also if you think about like a block that has 10 houses and half of those houses are people that are just coming in for two or three days. You know what I mean? It also impacts, I would imagine, a sense of community. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, you don't have real names. It's like a mall. Yeah. It's like a mall. Yeah. Yeah. You're kind of yeah. living in a half empty mall most of the yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. And what's also what I've been thinking a lot about is, you know, in LA, we've been seeing a tremendous amount of striking from the hotel unions because they're not getting mm-hmm. paid well, they're not getting support. Mm-hmm. We're seeing this across the country, but LA's become like the hotspot for the strikes around hotels. And 
as someone that used to Airbnb my apartment when I was out of town, the reason why we all do it is because you're able to create like a hotel system for yourself, make extra money, and it helps you as the landlord in the situation. But in terms of like your customer, I don't have a front desk. I don't help them in a real Mm -hmm. way. I'm not there to help deal with issues. I kind of like, it's very hands-off. And also, you know, my Airbnb, while like it worked for me, wasn't supporting a large economic structure like a hotel does, where there's unions, there's protections, mm-hmm. there's you know consistency in work, there's all this stuff happening around. And with what I've seen in LA, with the boom of Airbnb, you know hotels have really taken a hit, which then they've turned that oh, on yeah. to workers, and workers are now yeah. bearing the brunt of that. So I do think these kind of the rise of these tech economies have really destabilized consistent work for people, and it's really created this kind of fissure in money for people. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, in this conversation, on a note of optimism, kind of forward-looking and like ask what we can do to be good neighbors or just to help as much as we can as we see so many Americans suffer in this housing market. What can you do? And what are y'all thinking about doing to help when you can? I know for me personally, as a homeowner, I don't think I ever want to Airbnb my home. I don't think it's good for my neighborhood. I don't think it's good for my neighbors. I don't plan on doing it. Like, I'm just like, that's not going to be what I do, you know, but it's easy to feel powerless when you see these numbers and these stats. But I, I wonder, you know, Zach and Saeed, what do y'all want to try to do to, you know, help where you are? I mean, you know, I think certainly while traveling, taking the extra step to look at options that in hotels, because mm-hmm. sometimes it's like, maybe you don't want to say any big change, like little boutique family yeah. owned hotels, especially internationally, certainly mm-hmm. in Mexico, a lot of great options. Yeah. I mean, I, I think... More broadly, we have to have this conversation over and over again because it's a generational issue. A lot of the ways in which we enter transformation with the internet was this Mm -hmm. assumption that the internet was just going to make everything better and you just kind of didn't have to think about just just because it was suddenly like this new internet innovation it was going to make things easier you could get a taxi on your phone you could Mm -hmm. get a a, you know airbnb on your phone you could connect with your friends on social media and we're seeing wait a minute disruption literally means disruption Mm -hmm. you know so i think you know it's not easy. You know, you make the, the choices you make with the information you have at the time. But I think taking a couple of extra steps, certainly yeah. when planning travel, to think about who are you, you know, supporting? What's the system that I'm yeah. participating in? You yeah. know, I think it can go a long way. Yeah. yeah. I feel I feel very similar. I, I'm seeing myself be more interested in local hotels, local housing options that aren't tied to these big tech companies like Airbnb. And just Mm -hmm. also while I'm there, shopping local, eating local, really supporting local economies the best I can. And I feel like that's that's what I can begin to do because these are huge structures that are around us that, you know, it it takes more than one person to really change them. And I think like, you know, you can begin changing habits a little bit to kind of help make change there. But I also have to ask for renters because I mean, far Mm -hmm. more of us do not own property, do not kind of yeah. get to do the travel. Far yeah. many of us are like, well, what am I supposed to do about rent in the housing market? Yeah. Are there I would say or- two big things. One, if you're a renter in a building, get to know your neighbors and what they're going through. Because a lot of times renters can organize together against shitty landlords. So know mm-hmm. that and know what your other tenants are dealing with. And two, whatever major city you're living in, if you're living in one and even smaller towns, there are zoning laws that directly affect housing affordability. A lot of zoning laws prioritize single family home neighborhoods and that keeps a density from being reached in urban housing that could make rents more affordable. If you are at all involved in local politics or go to city council meetings or vote on local referendums, if there's anything concerning zoning, 
You want to vote for zoning laws that make it possible for there to be denser housing stock. That will change the cost of everyone's rents and mortgages across the board. So I would say those two things. That's helpful. It's funny talking to neighbors about rent kind of reminds me of how initially, you know, first entering the job market, Mm -hmm. you're made to feel sometimes you're directly told by managers not to talk about salary. Mm -hmm. You'll get in trouble. And it's like, Mm -hmm. no, 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 no. We're going to compare notes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. You got to compare notes. Yeah. Yeah, You got to compare notes. Listeners, let us know how you're dealing with this crazy housing market. What are your stories? How are you getting through? How are you helping? We're going to keep watching this issue because it affects all of us. But uh, I sure hope it gets better. That's all I got to say. Yeah. And and let us know what's the housing market like where you are. I always think it's so cool when listeners Mm -hmm. kind of let us know what's going on in their specific community. That's helpful. All right. Time for a quick break. When we come back, we're switching gears and talking about food in Atlanta. I'm so excited. Let's see what happens. (laughs) You're listening to Vibe Check. Stay tuned. All right, we are back and we are switching gears to a food fight we've been watching with a lot of glee online. Y'all have been watching it. I don't know what you're talking about yet. It's pretty great. All right, some context before we begin. Last week, the famous Michelin Guide arrived in the city of Atlanta and gave out their first ever series of Michelin stars, which are highly sought after awards that signify some of the best food in the world. And we can just pause here to note the racism of, of Michelin. Y'all just got to well, Atlanta. That's what he's going to talk about. I'm just saying, so, like, I just like yeah. I felt it when it he is, said it. Yes, yeah, like, <laughs> wow, come on. It's a really that's problematic. Like, come on, guys. Like, yeah. like, 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 like southern yeah. cuisine. And, yeah. and to Anywho, Sam's point, because we may not get to this part of it, but the Michelin Guide is tied to Michelin Tires, the French company, and they mm-hmm. created it as a way to sell tires years ago, and where it's you should drive. Thing. And that that guide itself is racist because you shouldn't drive to black areas. So anyway, that's the history of this very. I knew the Michelin Guide was racist. When I saw the Michelin man, he's white okay. as a driven snow. Oh white as a driven just, snow. That is, Sam, I'm just All saying. Right. Anyway. It's the yoga class. It's the yoga. Oh, God. Well, before last week, Atlanta had never received any Michelin stars ever in the history of the city. Wow. Which is it's as absurd. Which is wild. But by Friday, they were given five different Michelin stars for five different restaurants, and 10 okay. others were awarded the Bib Gourmand Award, which is not okay. a less than prize. It just signifies that the restaurant is more moderately priced, so it's more accessible to eat at. Okay. However, as fate would have it for the city of Atlanta, which I guess has some karma coming back to it, as they were being celebrated globally for having their first ever Michelin star reviews, a big star came to town. His name is Keith Lee. And if you aren't familiar with this man, he is a 27-year-old who lives in Las Vegas with his family. He, over the past few years, especially during lockdown, became a superstar for his heartwarming TikTok reviews of restaurants that were specifically struggling around business. So he focuses on restaurants that are currently not seeing any business come in or are about to close. And he helps bring a lot of attention if the food is really good. And he's always really really nice like he's like famously nice so it was like a tiktok diners drive-ins and dives 1000 percent. yes yeah, very that. like he would oh, okay. go to a lot of like when i was introduced to his his videos on tiktok you know earlier in the pandemic it would be like him going to like a mom and pop mm-hmm. 
hot wings place, you know, like in a strip mall, a place that you might drive by and not really. And he'd be like, I heard some good things about it. And he sits in the car and he would give a review. And then the next thing you know, honey, there's a line around. Oh, the I have seen him because he eats it in the car. Uh-huh. Yes, he seems really car. sweet. Yes. Okay, yes. I saw him on Instagram see, when they posted TikToks see, on the Instagram okay. Reels. Oh, yes, weeks they, later when like, it hits you're, Instagram. You're yeah. like more of a Gen Xer than an elder. You know, yeah. like wow. you get it when it gets to Instagram. I get, it, get it when, when I get it. When it gets it. to Facebook. But I don't do oh, Facebook. <laughs> so many of you know who Keith Lee is. And his videos are typically really positive. But when he arrived in Atlanta, he began going to some really famous restaurants. Specifically, restaurants like Old Lady Gang, which was owned by Real Housewife star Candy Burris. And his reviews weren't the nicest because these restaurants weren't very nice to his family. His hot take for the Mm. city of Atlanta is that they have terrible customer service, they have confusing rules around ordering, and they only help people when they are famous. To aid in his take on this, Cardi B even released a statement on her social media confirming what he said and saying she only gets service (laughs) typically when her team drops her name for Atlanta restaurants. Mm. This has sent Atlanta into a full tailspin around the food scene. What was striking to me was that like one of the restaurants he reviewed that he was like, yeah, the service wasn't great. And he explained, and and to be clear, he explains in detail. And he always says, don't use this as an opportunity to go and give bad reviews because of what I said. He says, you please go yourself, have your own experience. This is my opinion, which I think is pretty fair. But he pointed out this restaurant, Milk and Honey, had like 10 rules. And it made me think of like, if you've ever tried to find a loctician or a hairstylist mm-hmm. and you go and they have like the 10 or 15 rules, like don't even come in here if you haven't made da da da. And you're just like, damn. I mean, one of the rules for this restaurant was we do not serve parties for people of more on days that end in Y. Days that end <laughs> that's in Y. That's every day. That's every day. Every now, day. Now, I understand the restaurant being like, listen, we can't serve parties of 30 people without yeah. advance notice. That's a different kind of... But four people? Huh? Yeah. yeah pretty, also, pretty also as someone much. who used to get to Atlanta a lot for work, y'all really shouldn't be so precious about your food because I've eaten it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's not as if... I'm sorry. <laughs> the look I'm sorry. Some of these restaurants in Atlanta, oh they really be highfalutin. And I, I'm like, girl, you can't even fry chicken. There. Well, okay. So, <laughs> so actually, let's go that route because the big issue we're seeing <laughs> in Atlanta. Let's go there because this is a problem in Atlanta, in Los Angeles, in New York. Is that with the rise of social media and the rise of this new type of celebrity, we're seeing more restaurants open by celebrities. Like Donald Glover has a boba shop in Silver Lake, California. What? Like, yeah, you know Kevin Hart has a vegan restaurant in L.A. In Atlanta, Juicy J has a restaurant. You know, Candy Burris always has a restaurant. Now, I would go to Juicy are, J's restaurant. <laughs> I mean, I would do. Um, but, you know, celebrities are really driving kind of the restaurant scene, but these restaurants seem to be just facades of a restaurant. They're just like kind of their own Instagram ads well, and there's yeah. no substance there. Well, and so much of the food preparation right now in these restaurants is made for Instagram and not for your mouth. It's made yeah. to look good and flashy yeah. on Instagram, but the food might not be great. <laughs> They do always have the grass wall. If I walk in and I see a restaurant with a grass wall in the neon sign, I, I, I walk out. Yeah, like, yeah. I know. Yeah. Because, and, and this is what's interesting to me with Keith Lee. And the only reason he's in Atlanta, he was like, I'm on vacation and I had some time with my family. So I figured I'd make some videos here. As I mentioned, he's usually going to kind of like mom and pops, mm-hmm. you know, places, not necessarily like these kind of seen and be seen restaurants. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's it's interesting, the striking between like a 
a hot wing mom and pop shop that might be in a strip mall. It's not the classiest place, but baby, they can cook down. Yeah. There you You're go. gonna get a great meal. You're gonna take it home probably yeah. and have mm-hmm. a wonderful time. And often that food will surprise you. In contrast to like Candy Burris's place or Milk and Honey, which are definitely, because I was like looking at pictures and video, they're places you go to dress up, take your cute Instagram photos, make your little TikToks. Maybe you have a couple of overpriced drinks and then you mm-hmm. leave. You're not going there for the food, yeah. which. Yeah. Ugh. Also, can y'all catch me up on this? Milk and Honey got in some drama with this guy, Keith Lee, after he was there. Yes. What happened? Yes. So, <laughs> all right. So this is the Also, what is Milk and Honey? This. Who were they? So Milk and Honey. <laughs> it's a different restaurant. It's a different restaurant. It's not led by famous people like Old Lady Gang, which is one of Candy. Okay. She has a few restaurants. But um, the other restaurant, Milk and Honey, posted a TikTok of the owner sitting in the restaurant asking, who is Keith Lee? As a way of like kind of shrugging off mm. the bad review. And he's like pretending to smoke a like... Um, yeah, like a pipe or something. Pipe. It was like wearing sunglasses inside, by no, the way. No, that's another. No. That's another. That is so Atlanta. Ugh. Yeah, it's so Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> The people of Atlanta are about to light our inbox. Come on at me. Come on at me. It's all Sam. (laughs) It's all Sam. Sam. I used to live there. It's all Sam. It's all Sam. Sam. (laughs) But, you know, Keith's big take around all this was that his family was going in to get the reservation or to get the food, and they were treating Mm -hmm. them not super well. They were, like, kind Mm -hmm. of shrugging them off, didn't care. But when he would walk in— Everything shifted. And Keith is very much oh. about like accessible food. And that's what makes his food reviews yeah. different is that the food's never that expensive. It's somewhere you can go, most people can afford, and it's going to be some really delicious food that's really accessible even in taste. So if there are restaurants that become too mean or too like whatever about someone, if they're not famous, he immediately shuts them down. So to have them respond with a video that only kind of exasperated <laughs> that feeling of like, we're better than you, just was a really bad move on their end. Yeah, yeah. And, and I saw, you know, some people, I think, associated with these different restaurants that had gotten, I would say, fairly negative reviews, rightfully mm-hmm. so. They were, like, making fun of, and I don't I don't know his health status, and frankly, it doesn't matter, but some of them were like, who is this autistic guy? He's just, and I was like, well, what's that got to do with what it? Like, nothing okay, to do with it. Like, that, to me, that says something about you. Someone gives you a valid criticism, thoroughly walks it through. His videos are kind of long, right? Like, mm-hmm. he, they're not, like, 20-second long yeah. TikToks. He really kind of walks through and I was like you're so you're coming back and being ableist in response yeah that's saying a lot about you and yeah. setting Keith Lee's opinion aside I don't want to go to a place that yeah. those are the people you know what I mean that's how they yeah. act how do you treat random patrons you know yeah. which is Zach's point so much of Atlanta's energy when I am there and this is not all of Atlanta but what I've felt and experienced there are people perpetuating snobbery that have no reason to be snobs and it sounds mm-hmm. like these restaurants are snobs just because they want to be, but there's no reason to be. And I don't know. It feels very specific to that their city. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> Would uh, y'all mind if I intervened with a with a bit of a read? Oh, go for it. it. Would you mind? Do, do, do it. we have a moment? Do it. We have a moment. <laughs> because I'm inclined to agree with a lot of your observations, Sam. Thank you. You know the thing about Atlanta is, right? What? No. What? It's become the second Los Angeles. It's become the second Hollywood. It's become a huge market for That's not wrong. Not wrong. TV. Not wrong. wrong. And so, yeah, I think a lot of what you're saying has indeed a lot in common. 
But here's what I, I will you say. Seen and be seen, honey. No, see, but let me say what I'm gonna say about Los Angeles. The beauty of Los what Angeles. You just at horses the other day. Shut uh, your mouth. <laughs> Don't you say it. In the name, I rebuke. <laughs> Leave it in, Chateau. The tea is hot today. What I love about Los Angeles, <laughs> there are some pockets of this city that can have snobby food culture, but because LA is so massive, sprawled out, and diverse, True. you can find every kind of food under the sun, somewhere mm-hmm. in L.A. County. And a lot of the food that you're going to find that is wonderful and, like, is made from folks who brought it from their home country and kept it as it is, it's in a strip mall, and they're not making the food for Instagram. They're not making the food for white people. They're making the food that they grew up with back home. And mm-hmm. I find that the diversity of Los Angeles's food culture is unparalleled. It's unparalleled. It is pretty good. And if you're willing to get out of your boxes, you can end up in a strip mall in the valley and have the best whatever of your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Atlanta's not doing that. Atlanta's not doing that. It's also striking because, like, running a restaurant is so difficult. I would argue it's probably, I mean, you know, running any business is hard, but I would say it's, you know, deciding to open a restaurant is like, yeah. And the margins are low even if you're winning. And so it's interesting because marketing, having a social media presence is important. It's definitely something you want to think about if you want to have a successful Mm -hmm. restaurant. But if you overemphasize it, if it becomes Mm -hmm. the main concern, Mm -hmm. how does the restaurant look? Who are the kind of people we're letting in? Also, mind you, I find there's often a correlation between this kind of emphasis and respectability. Mm -hmm. Suddenly we get into dress codes. Mm -hmm. Suddenly we get into a Mm -hmm. certain kind of person being made to feel welcome and a certain Mm -hmm. other kind of person being made to feel unwelcome. And that gets ugly really quickly. And other considerations like customer service or just the quality of the food, you know, become less valued. Yeah. Yeah. I will say LA has no dress code. Because no one here can dress. <laughs> you can wear whatever the hell you want. That is so true. Y'all walk well, right out of there from Halloween yoga. <laughs> oh, my God. I want to ask you both about what I think is just poetic, in kind of the universe jumping in here. The fact that the Michelin Guide arrives the same weekend that Keith does. So in this moment that's so bright for Atlanta, they get taken down a bunch of pegs. And for me, it feels like that's pointing to a cultural trend that things like the Michelin Guide are no longer of interest to most people. They're looking to TikTokers, they're looking to Instagram people to review food. And that food itself, to your point, Saeed, isn't very, you know, fancy. It is like the chicken shack down the street that's getting empowered now. Mm -hmm. What do y'all think about this trend? Is this good for food? Is this good for restaurants moving forward? Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting shift when you think of it that way. Because I was thinking of, there was a time when... I would say if if you don't know the name Keith Lee, but you're interested in this, get on TikTok, get on Twitter, just Google, check it out. You will yeah. be amazed by the conversations that have like mm. the volume, because it it feels like a decade or maybe even longer ago, like a really fiery <laughs> guy fiery Pete Wells <laughs> review. Yeah. The way mm. that could kind of blow up a conversation and everyone would have an opinion. And you don't really you don't quite see that anymore. Yeah. Like that kind of food restaurant culture discourse doesn't happen. But here it is from this like 20-something Vegas guy, you know, eating food in his car, giving it on TikTok. So many people love to devalue cultural mm-hmm. criticism because it doesn't take place in the confines of a prestige magazine. But hey, yeah. he's having impact. 
Well, what I love about Keith Lee, now that I know who he is, I like how he takes all the stuffiness, the Michelin energy out of food. Mm -hmm. He eats the food Mm -hmm. in his car. He eats the food in the way a lot of Americans actually eat their food. And he takes the pomp and circumstance out of it. And it's just about, is this food good or not? And if that's what we have more of, I like it. Because I think a lot of times the Michelin Guide isn't awarding the food. It's awarding the stuffiness. It's awarding Mm -hmm. the presentation. It's awarding the vibe and the ambiance. And who cares? Life is hard. I want some good food. In addition to the Michelin Guide being, you know, like Sam said, embarrassingly late in terms of even reviewing restaurants in Atlanta at all, I don't think they gave any Michelin stars to black-owned no, they didn't. They didn't. They, they, wow. One of the blackest wow. major cities in the world who has a ton of black-owned restaurants there. And the fact that none of them got the stars shows you the problematicness. Yeah. That said, best meal I've ever had in Atlanta was at the airport. Not even lying. There's Where? a restaurant in the Atlanta airport <laughs> called One Flew South. And it is ranked as the best oh, airport restaurant in the world. Okay. It's amazing. Yes, it, the pork yes, belly yes. at One Flew South. Going, I, th- I, I wasn't were, going off. I thought you had I'm, another dagger no. out for Atlanta. No, it like, was actually a really good experience. <laughs> if you're in the Atlanta airport, go eat at One Flew okay. South. It's the best airport food in the world. You might as well eat there because Lord knows if you're at Atlanta Hartsfield, you're going to be there for a while. Yeah, I think it is the world's <laughs> busiest airport. Yeah. Like it is actually yeah. the yeah. busiest. So yeah. they need some food there. All right, listeners, we're going to take another quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. All right, we are back. And listeners from the Atlanta metro area, thank you if you're still with us. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, I am so excited to get the listener feedback this week. It's going to be wild. Um, Okay, we, of course, love to end every episode by sharing something with all of you that helps us keep our vibes right. I'm going to start with Zach because I think I know what he's going to talk about and I want to know more. Okay, so... I finally start, not finally, the show just came out on Sunday and I turned it on immediately. And the show I'm talking about is called Fellow Travelers on Showtime. It's starring Matt Bomer and Jonathan Bailey. Jonathan Bailey's going to be in the new Wicked if you're not familiar with him. Wasn't he in um, Bridgerton? He, yes, he was in Bridgerton as well. Good memory. Yeah, he's, he's been he's been popping off. I remember my gaze. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, the series is a miniseries that's based off the book by the same name written by Thomas Mallon. And it is a show that begins in the 1950s at the start of McCarthyism. And it tracks this love story Ooh. over four decades going through McCarthyism, the Vietnam War, disco and then the AIDS crisis but it's showing you like mm. queer you know community development movement rights through the lens of this romance over the years that's very complicated and let me tell you I love Showtime because Showtime for years <laughs> when I was a young young gay gave me the sex that I could not google and watch it gave us queer as folk it gave you I queer as folk yeah. you gave you queer as folk gave you the L word I learned what it meant to be gay through watching these shows and they were so explicit back then 1990 to like 2005 this show is a return to the raunchy Yo. very sexy content can I tell you after you mentioned it, I began watching it yesterday. I had a, 
a lull in my day. So around 1 or 2 p.m. I turned it on. 15 minutes in, they are pile driving. And I was How like, I'm going to have to revisit oh. this after oh, dark. Said, this is not lunchtime <laughs> this viewing. This is not lunchtime viewing. <laughs> they got in. Matt Bomer, more like Matt Boner. Okay. Boner. Yeah, it was hey. happening. It was happening. <laughs> oh, my God. So I'm going to revisit it after nightfall. <laughs> you you should. <laughs> and this yeah. ruins nothing, but something that I think a lot of us here on the show know is that a lot of our most vehemently homophobic politicians and leaders in the 50s and 60s were themselves closeted or having same-sex mm. interaction, and specifically Roy Cohn and uh, Joseph McCarthy. And uh, this show gets into that part of it and showing you that like these people had a lot of self-hate that they were trying to cover up by hurting all of mm-hmm. us and how that has played out even till today in the government. So mm-hmm. it's a really good show. Sure. Watch it, everybody. All, all right. right. Sam, what about you? I want to recommend... A movie that is on Amazon Prime Video right now, starring Jamie Foxx and Journey Smollett and Tommy Lee Jones. It is called The Burial, and it's amazing. And no one's talking about this film, and everyone should be talking about this film. So it's so amazing. So here's the premise, and this is no spoiler. Tommy Lee Jones plays an old funeral home director from the South who is about to retire. A large funeral home conglomerate gives him an oral agreement to buy a funeral home chain to save him from some fines from the government. They try to pull out. He wants to sue them. The star lawyer he hires is a celebrity black attorney played by Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx faces off in the courtroom by the other side's lawyer, who was played by Journey Smollett. These are three amazing actors giving you courtroom sass. For two hours. It is so good. That's a fun head-to-head good. The movie starts with Jamie Foxx's character giving a sermon in a Southern Black church. That's where it starts. It's so good. The Burial. Yeah. It's called The Burial. It's on Amazon Prime Video. People have forgotten how much of a national treasure Jamie Foxx is. And he does the work in this movie. People have forgotten how great Journey Smollett is. She does the work in this movie. If you want a Mm -hmm. fun two hours, go watch The Burial. It was so good. It was so good. And something you you mentioned at the beginning, but you were like, I haven't heard of this and I hadn't either. And that's because the SAG after strike is continuing still to this day. And the actors can't can't even talk about it. So there's so many movies that have come out lately that no one knows are out because of the strike. So if you want to be like, I haven't noticed the strike, oh, you're going to notice it Uh in January when these actors are like, oh, I had a movie come out last year. I had this thing. No, <laughs> yeah, wow. and I knew the burial was great because I was talking to my aunt Betty this weekend, and I was like, "Girl, you got to watch this movie, The Burial." She goes, "I already watched it, and I already shared my Amazon password with my best friend so she could watch it too." Okay, is that oh, good? Betty. Is that good? That's the review. That's yeah. the review. That's the review. Uh, That's I love the review. That. So yeah, The Burial. <laughs> uh, Said, what's your recommendation this week? So my poem this week, since I figured we are bussy deep in Scorpio season. Bussy deep in Scorpio season. My God. I wanted to find a poem that could embrace, like, to me, when I think about, you know, Scorpio season, it's about it's about honesty, like getting to the real, real, tell me the truth, no, tell me the real truth. Of course, sex, desire, carnal knowledge, all okay. of that's part of it. And so I found one of my favorite poems by Jericho Brown. He uh, won the Pulitzer Prize 
a couple of years ago for his book, The Tradition, Uh, um, which is wonderful. But this is from his first book, Please. And this is the first poem in the book. It is, if you are into jazz and the history of RBB, you'll recognize the song, but this is a song title, Lush Life. So the poem Mm -hmm. is titled Track One, Lush Life by Jericho Brown. The woman with the microphone sings to hurt you, to see you shake your head. The mic may as well be a leather belt. You drive to the center of town to be whipped by a woman's voice. Mm -hmm. You can't tell the difference between a leather belt and a lover's tongue. A lover's tongue might call you bitch, a term of endearment where you come from. A kind of compliment preceded by the word sing in certain nightclubs. A lush little tongue you have. You can yell, sing, bitch! And I love you with a shot of Patron at the end of each phrase from the same bar stool every Saturday night. But you can't remember your father's leather belt without shaking your head. Mm. That's what satisfies her. The woman with the microphone. She does not mean to entertain you. And neither do I. Speak to me in a lover's tongue. Call me your bitch. And I'll sing the whole night long. That is a Scorpio poem. Track one, Lush Life (laughs) by Jericho Brown. And the book is called Please. I highly recommend it. A lot of inspiration from music. There's an incredible Mm. poem about Janis Joplin in that Mm. book as well. But I love this. It kind of of works with fellow travelers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The messiness, what we were talking about, Atlanta. I love those moments where you're seeing a live performance. And as he says, that she does not sing. She does not mean to entertain you. It transcends mere entertainment. Mm. And sometimes it can feel spiritual, mm. sexual, sometimes deeply hurtful. You, now you're crying and it's not mm-hmm. always, sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's memories or like, he's, you know, the memory of the father's leather belt, like, you know, unexpectedly mm-hmm. intense memories can be lit up. I, I love that. And just the fact that he's like, you know, you're also throwing back your Patron on the mm-hmm. bar stool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's so there's like a, a messy honesty. And I, I love poems that can take settings that maybe do not sound literary or that they belong in the ivory tower, but with the rigor of craft, you know. Yeah. No, I, I love that Jericho wrote a poem about you know this sexually charged and mentioning mm-hmm. taking a shot of Patron and then won a Pulitzer right after it. Like that to me is yes. excellence. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Jericho oh, yeah. is from Louisiana. I think he's from Shreveport in particular. You know, if you've been in Louisiana, mm-hmm. if you've gone to a dive bar, mm-hmm. you know, and randomly, you know, caught the spirit watching someone sing or perform, you know what he's talking about. I love, I love it. it. All right, my friends, listeners, what are you feeling or not feeling this week? What's your vibe? You can always check in with us at vibecheck at stitcher.com. You know, let us know your favorite Jericho Brown poem, your favorite sex scene on Fellow Travelers. Sounds like there's a lot of <laughs> options to choose from there. Yo, five minutes in, they are at it. Woo, I love that. Let's get to the real meat. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Vibe Check. If you love the show and want to support us, please make sure to follow the show on your favorite podcast listening app and tell a friend. 
Huge thank you to our producer, Shanta Holder, engineer Sam Kiefer and Brendan Burns, and Marcus Hom for our theme music and sound design. And a special thanks to this week's engineer, Jared O'Connell. Also, special thanks to our executive producers, Nora Ritchie at Stitcher and Brandon Sharp from Agenda Management and Production. I'm going to read the last of the credits, but I just had this, like, image in my mind. You know how I was railing against peppermint and how much I just hate peppermint season? I imagined a peppermint goblin sneaking around my house, pouring peppermint and everything. It made me mad. It made me mad. (laughs) That's all. On that note, listeners, we want to hear from you. What are your thoughts on Peppermint? Tell me. You can email us whenever you want. Vibecheck at Stitcher.com. Vibecheck at Stitcher.com. And keep in touch with us on Instagram at Sam Sanders, at The Ferocity, and at Zach Staff. Zach with the C-H. If you post about the show, use the hashtag VibeCheckPod and keep your Peppermint away from me. Stay tuned for another episode next week. No peppermint patty for Sam. <laughs> <laughs> no peppermint. Not peppermint patty. Ugh. Not peppermint patty. Hate it. You don't like thin mints? Do you no. Like thin mints? No. Uh, they are so Sorry. good. Okay. Yeah. Girl Scout yeah. cookies. Wow. We got okay. to end this show. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Stitcher.